Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. Metro exists to exalt God and equip people. Here at Metro, we long to become a community that celebrates the presence of God, communicates the Word of God, demonstrates the love of God, and educates the people of God. Everything we do revolves around this core mission and vision. We are so glad you are here today to listen to this week's podcast. It is our prayer that this message encourages you and equips you to be like Christ in all aspects of your life. Enjoy today's message. Thank you so much for the invitation this weekend. It's been a wonderful, wonderful time. And I'm just grateful to God for the opportunity to, to you know, share with you what I believe is absolutely pertinent information, particularly the information that is surrounding my favorite topic on the earth, which is surrounding leadership. And the reason why is I, I have been under different types of leadership, whether it was in school um, nationally, you know, I'm not from the United States, I'm from Zimbabwe. Um, the churches that I've, I've been a part of, because we moved a lot when I was a kid growing up. And so we ended up in different cities, different towns, etc. So we ended up going to different churches. And I just had a, a, an amazing experience with wonderful leaders, uh, but also a, a not so pleasant experience with some leaders that could have done better. So there was always an, you know, an interest because I began to find out that the key to growth and the key to excelling and the key to anything working in success was directly tied to the quality of, of, of its leaders. And so that, that has been a lifelong venture, really. Um, to discover, Lord, what are the keys according to your scripture? And so I know some of you are just joining us here for Sunday. We've been at this for a little while now. Uh, we started, um, you know, yeah, we started on um, on Friday night. And what we discussed on Friday night was pertinent at that time. We went into Saturday morning and I spent quite a little bit of time Saturday morning covering some material that I thought was vital. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, Saturday night was wonderful and a powerful time. And now we're here again together. I, I, I want to how much time do I have, Pastor Sadish? I want to make sure that I'm faithful to the time. I'm an African. I don't preach by the clock. I preach by the calendar. So, <laughs> so let me know how much time do I have. You've got about 40, 45 minutes. 40, 45 minutes. Now, send a wave or something when you see the African carrying on, okay? If you say that, okay, fine, this is going too long, you know, send me a signal. So we were discussing, you know, leadership. And I want to talk about that as well right now, just so we understand. You know, I really believe that we're living in, in, in what I call the, the democratization of leadership. And what I mean by that is this, is that if, if you're waiting to get a position in the church before you study leadership, you're waiting too late. If you're waiting to get a promotion at work before you study what it means to be in charge of something, then you're, you're waiting too late. Uh, you have to be a person who goes out of your own way to train yourself to expand your leadership capacity. Uh, and, and so we, we know from, from the word of God Right from, the, from when he gave us what we call our dominion mandate, when he gave us the, uh, really the, the purpose for the creation of mankind. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image and according to our likeness, and let them have dominion. That was the purpose. Meaning let them exercise rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the surface of the earth. Now, for the previous you know, six days, the Lord had been, had been creating daily profound entities. The, you know, the, 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 the stars and, and, and the moon and, and the sun, he had been creating you know, 
giving the, the waters their jurisdiction and allowing mountains to pop up from the crust of the earth. And it, so there was then to call on the waters to produce marine life and birds, and then to call on the earth to produce flora and fauna, the, veg, the vegetable slash plant kingdom and, and, and the animal kingdom. And it seems that with all this, there was no real outline of any particular plan or purpose. It was just that he, he made it and he declared how good it was. Behold, this is good. Behold, this is good. But when it came to mankind, we see for the first time the Lord contemplating purpose. Why am I going to work on this one? Almost as if, it, you know, our, our presence had to be justified, even if it was just to himself. He says, now let us make men in our image and according to our likeness. And let them have dominion. And I believe that part of the reason why we had to have a, a purpose statement spoken immediately was because of how much he was going to store within us. Oh, God help me. He says, this one I shall make after my own image. And then he says, after my own likeness. The image of God is speaking about a reflection of him. The likeness of God is dealing with essential stuff at the level of essence. And so that means that whatever was found in God was going to be found in this created being. So that's why it purpose, its purpose could not be ambiguous. It had to be clearly stated. What I'm saying right now, I'm not just saying about what happened on the day of our creation. Coming back to the fact that with any group, anything that you're in charge of, your family, your kids, now for those of you that are parents, you know, for, for those of you that are children of a particular generation, you, it just by virtue of what the Lord says in Genesis chapter 126, we know that if you are on this planet and you are a human being, there is already an outlined purpose for you. You are not a random collision of cells. You are a purposed being. Meaning, therefore, the knowledge of purpose is one of the most dynamic things you can ever encounter. When the Lord begins to reveal to you what it is you were born to do, what it is you were born to accomplish, and there's a process attached to that. Some people know right away, some it takes time, but hopefully I want to be able to just reveal the process by which you come into purpose. Because if you're going to be a leader at any level at all, and all of us, like I was saying to the group since Friday, are born with a dimension of leadership. There's something the Lord has placed within you that, that, that is a call to leadership. And, and, and whenever you're called to leadership, you are given a domain. For some of you, you can say, but what is my domain, Felix? And I, I want to deal with some scriptures here, if you don't mind. Um, I want to go to... Thanks, Pastor Sadish, for the invitation, by the way. Pastor Linson, you're awesome. You know, I love you guys. Um, let's go to well-known passages here. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Then I want to deal with a very familiar portion of scripture. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 29. Here's what he declares. Do you see a man who is skilled at his work? You will stand before kings. You will not stand before insignificant men. He says, observe a man who is skilled. And what I love about that term skilled is that nobody is born with skill. A lot of people are born with talent. But skill, skill is not inborn. Skill you got to work on. Skill is achieved from, you know, from continuous practice. 
So then what therefore is the posture of the child of God in order for them to be able to walk in this amazing experience we are talking about? So here's what, so watch what it says. Observe a man who was skilled at his work, right? And then you say, but Felix, how do I know what my work is? We go to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. As we lay a case for this, I hope you're all doing great. Colossians chapter 3 and verse 23. So it says this. Whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord, not as unto men. And really it's speaking about the posture with which we do the things we do. So anything that we do, um, it's, it's actually, a, 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 you know, hearkening to Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 10. When, when the preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes says what? Whatever your hands find to do, do diligently with all your heart, for there is no work in the grave where you're going. And what, what the, the preacher was saying is this. The place to do meaningful work is this side of the grave. So then how then do I find my purpose? Whatever your hand finds to do, do with all of your heart. Is unto the Lord, not as unto men. And so now we get this, um, this thing that the, I heard a man say this, and it's so true. He says, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And what they mean by that is this, there are certain people that, if they're, even if they're picking up trash, they're the best trash picker upper. If they're, if they're, if they're, have you seen those, you know, my mom was one of those that, man, when she cleaned the house, Bring the toothbrush out because she has to go into every nook and cranny to make sure like that. My sisters became like that. I lost that gene, but I hire people to do that for me because I value that quality of work. So, so the thing that I'm saying is this, though, is that there, there is a diligent posture that you must apply to the work with which you are given because I believe everything we do is an expression of, 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 of that likeness with God that was instilled in us. God is a creator. That's the first thing we see him doing, right? It's called the Elohim. That's his name of creation. So God is a creator. So then what does he cause you and I to do? Part of our calling is to create. What does create mean? It means to cause something to be there that was not there when you came. The elements were all there. Now notice when God does the creation of the earth, right? It's interesting because in the beginning, it says God created the, the heavens and the earth in the beginning. But what we, the story that is told in Genesis chapter 1 from verse 2 on down is what God is doing to pre-existing material. He says, let there be light. There was light and he separates the waters from the waters. And so here's what you and I have been placed on a planet that is rich with possibility. You are living in a city that is rich with possibility. And when the leadership, you know, anointing kicks in, part of what you want to do is to reflect the likeness of God. It begins with the quality you bring to the work you're doing right now. How well are you doing right now? If you're a member of the worship team, how, how well are you doing that? If you're working for Texas Instruments, how well are you doing that? Why? How much of your body, soul, and spirit are you bringing to that work? I say this all the time. I discovered this years ago. I've never worked for a man. I found out that every work I've ever done, I've always worked for God. So then what that taught me when I was young was, now that you know who your boss is, what is the level of diligence you bring into a unit of work? Can't afford to be sloppy. Why? Because I'm working as unto God, not as unto men. I can't afford to be just war or whatever. Why? Because I'm working unto God as unto men. Everyone that God ever called, David, 
You know, even if you look at the calling into leadership for Joseph, even if you look at the disciples when the Lord was calling the disciples, they were at their individual places of occupation and doing a decent job there. Matthew was literally at the text collector's booth when the Lord came to Matthew and says, follow me. And he followed him. So my whole point is this, is that the place we start is the attitude as leaders to which we bring to a unit of work. You know, is our environment, does it look the best that we can? In church, in, 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 in our Sunday school class, in our arrangement, in everything that we do, are we bringing the best? Because the most important thing that you, you can learn is this, Lord, if I wake up every morning, I'm about to go to work for you, Father. And so we see this, this, this thing that on Friday we dealt with what I call, you know, the two rivers that run within us or the two anointings that are in, in, in the child of God. And I tried to trace its biblical roots so you can have a great appreciation of it. So we looked at the fact that, you know, Revelation chapter 1, verse 5 and 6, thereabout, he made us kings and priests. Um, you know, um, Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5. And so he, he spoke of Israel as being a kingdom of, of, of priests. And we look at 1 Peter 2, 29, and, and we see that we are, we are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. So we understood that there was royalty and priesthood united in one office, in us. And so it's what a royal priest, well, what does it mean to be a royal priest? It means that there is a priestly call, but there's also, there's the royal call. And the two are not the same, but they run adjacent on the inside of us. And so then that's why we dealt with it on Friday, that when you look at it from the biblical history standpoint, those were two offices that were released between, within two tribes. The priestly were the tribe of Levi, where Aaron and Moses Aaron was the first high, high priest, and that Moses said that Levitical line from the priesthood, the line of Judah from the kings. But Christ is both the great high priest and the king of kings. So then we begin to find out, well, how did he have two offices? How can you be from the tribe of Judah and also from the tribe of Levi? Because we know that he was not from the tribe of Levi, but we understand that his great high priesthood is received from another order. It's received from an order that is called the order of Melchizedek. The order of Melchizedek is the order wherein two offices unite. Because Melchizedek, according to Genesis chapter 14, was what? He was the priest of the Lord, and he was also the king of Salem. So the king of Salem, ancient Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city of peace, the, 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 you know, the ancient you know, king of that was also priest of the most high God. So we see a merging of these two offices, and that's what we talked about on Friday. So because we hold those two offices, ladies and gentlemen, here's part of what is required of you and I, is that we have service toward God. That's our priestly anointing. Then we have service toward mankind, and that's our kingly anointing. Well, how... How, how can you prove that? David as king, his responsibility under God, in fact, Saul as king, his responsibility under God was the welfare of Israel, not the welfare of angels, not the welfare of the throne of God. It was the welfare of Israel. That means his service was what? To people. And so, Part of what Saul did brought harm to Israel. Some of the decisions he made, you know, brought harm and brought famine in the time of David. There was a drought for three years that was caused by Saul's actions. And so some of the judgment that came against the house of Saul was that he did not approach that calling with sufficient diligence. What was the sufficient diligence? If the Lord tells you, go on an assignment and get it done. You cannot be sloppy about your work. Be diligent about your work. 
Why? Because when you're diligent about your work, that is exercising the domain of kings. Look at how well David did everything he did. When he fought against Goliath, he fought well. When he handled the sling, he handled it well. When he handled the harp, he handled it well. When he took care of 400, you know, dis, you know dis, discontented men, he represented by what? Upgrading. So what is that? It's the manifestation of the genius of God through, through the, you know, the life of a man. And how is that achieved? By a person just having the posture or the leaning into doing the best he can in every situation, knowing that his real boss was not Israel. Even though you're serving them, they're not your boss. You're serving God by serving them. So now, as we explore just a little bit further on the, what we call the calling of kings, then we'll begin to find something that Jesus said, which is really what I hope to hammer home in the next few minutes, is that if we, if we receive that we are a kingly people, that there's a kingly anointing in us, then we go to Matthew chapter 20. And I'll read from verse 25 and 26. It says, but Jesus called them aside and said, you know the rulers of the Gentiles loaded over them. It shall not be so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be your servant. So whenever I, you know, I, I used to get nervous teaching about the kingly anointing to Christians because there's sometimes a getting carried away with visions of dominion. You know, ah, we're going to be great. We're going to take over stuff. And, um, and, 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 and you get a lot of, you know, dominion theology nowadays. Well, the wealth of the wicked is laid up for the just as if we're just going to go ahead and, and take something. But what we notice is that the kingly posture from Christ's perspective is centered around an orientation towards service or a heart of service. That's how you actuate the king, the, truly actuate the kingly anointing. You are as kingly as you are a servant. Begging me to ask the question, how are you doing as kings? When you discuss the servant thing, the calling of the servant is actually the calling of kings. Does, the kings were chosen, the first two kings of Israel were chosen when they were in the middle of serving. David was looking after the sheep. Remember when 1 Samuel chapter 16, when Samuel came to the house of Jesse, all the other brothers were in the house. Where was David? He was in the field serving, working for his father. Those were not his sheep. Those were his daddy's sheep. And then when you look at the calling of Saul, 1 Samuel chapter 10, where was he? He was looking for his father's donkeys. He was serving. So why does God go to servants to choose kings? Because that's how it works. When Moses got a call into ministry, what was he doing? He was looking after his father-in-law's sheep. He was literally out on the field when the Lord did that to him. So what are we noticing here? We're noticing that the kingly anointing, or what we call the leadership anointing, is directly tied to service and the quality of service we render. It's not about the position I hold and whether that position is important. It's about, and how do you know you are serving? The only reason why you have to serve something is that it needs not just maintenance, it needs upgrading. So watch this. Watch what the Bible teaches about service, a servant. And we find this in Matthew chapter 25, very familiar portion of scripture. You guys already know this. Let's go Matthew chapter 25. How are we doing? Are we doing okay? Wave at me so I know you're listening. Amen. Wonderful. David's in the start. Matthew chapter 25. I'll show you this, you know, the secret 
to innovation, the secret to greatness on this planet. I don't know if the same works on the moon. I don't know if the rules apply. I've never been to the moon. But on this planet, this is how greatness is attained. So watch this. The Lord then um, gives us a parable in, in, from verse 14. For the kingdom of heaven, what is he saying? That the system of heaven, this is the way it's configured, right? The rule of heaven, the principles of heaven are configured or calibrated around this ethos, around this way of thinking. What? He says, it's like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants. What were they? Servants. And he delivered them his goods. And not one Sorry, and to one he gave five talents, to another he gave, to another he gave uh, two, and to another he gave one. You guys know this story. Then he who received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five. Traded with them and made another five. And, uh, and likewise, he who had received two gained two more, but he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid the Lord's money. After a long time, those servants came to the Lord. Now notice this, it says, and he who had received five talents came and brought the five talents saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more. And the Lord says, well done, good and faithful servant. Okay, we're going to deal with that. You were faithful over little. I'll make you what? Ruler. Over much. Now, what does that mean? I'll cause you to be a king over vast territory. Why? Because how you served in the little reveals how you rule in the large. Because servants are kings in God's economy. Your kingship is not just you walking in divine authority and casting out demons and all of this. I've seen sometimes men of God that can do that, but cannot help a single person. You know, one simple person do something simple. Oh my goodness, man, one of the greatest challenges I ever had was when I was younger, you know, I was, I was an associate minister in, uh, when I was 23 years old at a church in Harare, Zimbabwe. And um, at and, and, and one time, a blind man came and his name was Luke Mutomera and he needed a place to stay overnight. And I, I, I'd had him at the house before and because he's blind, you have to keep conversation going. And I just wanted to chill out after church. So I started hemming and hawing. Oh, uh, you know, um, so what, uh, our local evangelist, his name was Elias Chisasa. He was a poor guy. I lived in a much better part of town, had a better house and a car to take us there. He rode a bicycle and was living in what you and I would consider abject poverty, but was working for the, for the work of the Lord. Elias said, Oh, in Nilsen, it's okay. Luke can come to my house. He's welcome to my, uh, at my house any, any day. That man did not know that in that moment he changed my life. Now, notice this. I was the director of missions. He worked under me, even though I was young. But that day he revealed me, to me who the true leader was. Because leadership and kingship is based on the quality of the service you render. Here I am, hemming and hawing about bringing a man who needed a place to sleep, and I, you know, I could put him in my bedroom, and that's what I've done ever since. When people visit and I don't have enough space, I sleep on the couch and they take my room. And I learned it from that man from then. Why? Because the quality of service you render can change your life, man. I can, I can tell you specific individuals that have impacted my life the most, and none of them will be headlining names of some amazing, powerful preacher. It will be simple people in whose home I got to. And the way they served me revealed God to me. We're talking about kingship. Do you want to rule? Yes. 
then you are, huh, your rulership is tested by the quality of your service. If you cannot serve, you cannot rule. If you cannot be a servant, you cannot be a king. That's God's way of doing things. The kingdom, now notice, now notice this, this servant was just given custodianship over three things, three talents. Those are measures of wealth, by the way. A talent is a, like a kg or something like that. It's a measure of wealth. He got three, but I love how the old King James individual said talents. They kept it there because it's then for you and I that are reading in English, it has an ambiguity to it. Are we talking about talents as in money or are we talking about talents as in God's gifts? I think both apply. He says, do you see a man who's skilled at his work? You'll stand before kings. You'll not stand before insignificant people. You are now noticing in the New Testament what that looks like. This man was diligent at the work that he was given, so much so that he stood before rulers and he was made a ruler. I will make you ruler over much because you were faithful in little. The one thing that you and I have in common is this. We may not be talented at the same level. I've known people that are far much more talented than me. Can I be honest with you though, with my observation? The most talented people I knew never were the greatest achievers. Because it came naturally to them, they developed no work ethic. It was natural. The greatest achievers I've noticed had little, but they multiplied it. They were given charge over little, but they multiplied it. You look at Catherine Kuhlman, and she was so amazing. And she says, Lord, I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not beautiful. I'm not talented. I'm not this, I'm not that. But she says, but if you can use this, Lord, here it is. That whatever I am, if, you can, if it's usable to you, if there's any utility in me, I'm available. And that woman that spoke with a funny accent, if you listen to Catherine Kuhlman, you wouldn't think she's American, you'd think she's Norwegian or something. Man. And uh, then the Lord says and all this, but healing miracles. And not fake ones, real miracles. But wh what happened is that, Lord, I don't have custodianship over much talent, but I have a body and a voice. If you can use it. Here it is, Adianithade. Here I am. And so now you see that, 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 that one of the most powerful things that you can do, ladies and gentlemen, is don't seek the limelight. The rulership in the kingdom of God has got nothing to do with the limelight or being the main man on stage. Some of the greatest kings on this earth don't really hold any position, but they serve. You know, I, I, I was listening to an interview that Steve Jobs did a long time ago. And um, so it was one of those that was hidden in the archive somewhere. Somebody found it and began to talk about it. And I began to see that his approach to computing was vastly different from Bill Gates. Bill Gates was computing to make money. And so that's why he looked for licensing agreements. Really, he didn't come up with MS-DOS. He didn't come up with, you know, the whole Intel thing that they didn't come up with it. He got somebody else's, um, you know, somebody else's plan, and he just found a way to make money with it by licensing it instead of just selling it off right to IBM. He said, I'll license IBM computers to use our software. And he made a ton of money, was the richest man in the world. Good for him, man. God bless you. He's, right now, he's one of the biggest givers in the world, even though you're being told, you know, by people that he's trying to kill everybody with COVID. Uh, whatever you think, but still, at the, as, as, as far as helping people collectively, for all of us that are in here, uh, he's given more to the poor than we have. 
And I know one Malayali uh, gentleman who's out in India right now, wonderful guy who's a friend of mine, who was working under the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, bringing healthcare to outlying you know, areas in, 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 um, in, in India. So he's done great works, but Steve Jobs' approach was a little different. Steve Jobs' approach was what you might call utility value for the end user. If you didn't think, oh, let's make a bunch of this and make money, he says, but how does it feel in the hands of the person that you're holding? That's a service inclination. Because anybody that is starting the new talk right now concerning service is what is called user experience or, or customer experience. And that means that what? You want to bring a type of quality of service that makes your customer. For this servant, his customer was his master. What was the master's response? Oh, wow, wow, wow. You doubled what I gave you. Well done, good and faithful servant. He, just, he didn't say, so there was a quality to what he brought. You will find that that's the level of, of, of service that Daniel brought to the court of Nebuchadnezzar until Nebuchadnezzar says, my goodness, man, you're amazing. Only the God of Daniel is going to be worshipped in the domain of Babylon. Why would he say that? It wasn't just service that Daniel gave. It was the quality that was contained in and how the end user experienced it. So he had this orientation towards serving that brought delight. That was Joseph, excuse me, in the house of Laban. That was uh, rather, that was uh, Jacob in the house of Laban. That was Joseph, who must have learned that from his father, in the house of Potiphar, in the house, in, in the jail cell, and in the kingdom of Egypt, why? An orientation to just do your best to bring the best quality. Put your mind and your heart to it. You know, I used to wonder why the Lord did the sacrificial system and made it so intricate. But So you have to cut this animal this way and then cut that and then lay that there and then this you burn here. And I'm like, why are we going through that ritual? And then you know what it, you know, it, it could be the reason? It's because it's something that you had to connect your heart and your mind to, to do it right. In fact, there's a place in the book of Isaiah, I think it's in Isaiah 56. Uh, let me see if I can find it. It's just come to me. I had not written it down, but we're doing church. How much time do I have, Pastor Sarich? Come on, Felix. I, I need to find it now because this is important. I hope we're doing great out there, guys. Isaiah 66, not 56, my bad. Isaiah 66. And the Lord is teaching about worship here. So, but watch what he says. I want you to catch the spirit of what he says. That says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For those things my hand has made and those things exist, says the Lord. But on this one, on this one will I look on him who is poor and contrite in spirit who trembles at my word. He who kills a bull, as if he slays a man, he will sacrifice the lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He offers a grain offering as if he offers swine blood. He who burns incense as if he burns, he blesses an idol. Just as they've chosen their own ways and their soul delights in their abominations, so will I choose their delusions and bring their fears to him. Now he's contrasting the person with a contrite heart who serves him well to a person that does service with a 
Oh, God help me. With, with no mind and no quality whatsoever. So he's talking about he who kills a bull as if he slays a man. Reckless with it. Yeah, he who sacrifices a lamb as if he breaks a dog's neck. He says that he who offers grain offering as if he's, you know, offering it to an idol. And he says because of their abominations and the people that approach worship in this way, in such a sloppy way, that approach service in this way. Have you ever been served by somebody in such a way? Maybe you go sit down in, you know, in, in a restaurant and the waitress and she's, and, and you're just like, you know what? She, he or she's not, he's not even trying, man. Like not even trying, <laughs> you know? And then you're served by some people and you're just like, what in the world was that? Oh my goodness, I've had some amazing individuals that, you know, you go to a restaurant frequently enough. There's a place I used to frequent down the road from here where they serve breakfast. And the people that serve me every morning, by the time I've been there, the second and third time, they already anticipated what I want. Hey, uh, Pastor Felix, are you going to get your usual? And would you like, you know, there was some a delight in knowing and then serving from knowing, finding out what, I, and then what do you do? I gave them my custom for years. Why? Because kingship or rulership, and that was one of the best restaurants, kingship and rulership is not based on how fancy a product you can produce. How well does it serve? How well are you served? And so Metro, I, I have the question to ask you today. What is the quality of your service? What is the quality of your kingship in the city of Dallas? I believe that part of the reason why you would even entertain, you know, uh, multi-campus is this. Why? There are people that are driving an hour to come to church, to Metro, right? How are they going to drive on black ice? So what then you, do you do? You say, okay, if the Lord can grow us and give us the resources, we want to have another plan to go for another campus where our people only have to drive 15 minutes to get there. What is service? And what comes with service? Rulership. Why? Because your footprint then increases. You know, so, so we only rule, I guess is what I'm saying, Pastor Linson, can you write in chat um, just my, 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 my time clock? I've lost my bearings on time right now. I'm just being honest with you. And I don't want to look at it because I don't want to lose my train of thought. Thank you for being patient with this African. Amen. Um, so, or, or text me, uh, Pastor Linson. Um, the, the, the thing that is really, really important for me to point out is this, is that it's the quality of your service. So as I was talking about Steve Jobs, it's no wonder to me why he arrived at where he arrived. And then guess what? I, I, I was listening to Elon Musk, uh, an interview that he did um, on, a, on a podcast, one of those Zoom-type podcasts, fairly recently, and immediately understood why that kid was the richest man in the world right now. He is anticipating not the now because a true servant just does not anticipate now. They anticipate the future and they make preparations for it. And if they won't be there, then they want to make such good preparations that the ones that will be there will be blessed by it. David, I want to build you a temple. You shall not build me a temple. Okay, fine. But I anticipate that as you're going to build a temple through my son. So here's what I'm going to do, Father. I'm going to gather all the resources for it. Why? I'm serving. Why am I serving? Because that's what kings do. Eight minutes to go and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna use them. That's what kings do. So what does David do? He gives all the wealth, the gold, the silver, the wood. He negotiates with, you know, the, the, uh, the local kings so that they send down the river, Jordan, the centers of Lebanon. And that's how Solomon is then able to just focus on the work because the father who is a king and a servant who anticipated the need made sure the provisions were in place before he went on to be with God in glory. 
Well, what if the Lord comes today? Yeah, what if he does? What is he going to say about the talents that he gave us, the gifts that he gave us? What shall the question be? Have we multiplied them, or at least have we attempted to serve with that which he gave? You know, you look at the Under Armour story. Under Armour right now is such a big brand. It's a multi-billion dollar brand now. It was started by a college kid. You know why? He had hyperhidrosis. What is hyperhidrosis? He sweated a lot. So then what does he do? He began to find, and he was a football player, he begins to find, you know, breathable material that can absorb sweat, et cetera, et cetera. And so he, he made it first for himself. Then his teammates began to say, hey, man, what you wearing? You know, and he told his teammates, then he began to help his teammates by making th those type of things for him. And before you know it, boom, out of serving, kingship. He was just serving his team, and the idea sparked. It may be more people need this than this, so what am I going to do? I'm going to serve a wider market. The entire world of business, let me tell you this, the reason why America accelerated as fast as it did and why China took so long to come to where America now is, is because in America what happened was this, was that as when we came out of the Industrial Revo uh, uh, Revolution, the founders of American industry, they had an orient some of them were wonderful men of God. If you ever read their stories, it's pretty fascinating. But you will find, and I gave an example of J.C. Penny, John Cash uh, Penn, to the, to the group, um, on, on, I think on Friday or Saturday. You, you know that J.C. Penny, when he started the J.C. Penny thing, he was involved in you know, selling discount type stuff and all this, working for another company. And then in his little town where he comes from, he just decided that, hey, I think we need this. And so, you know, he made some moves and started a company there. And it began to do well. So that what other people were rejecting, he was bringing them, trying to sell it at a discount, negotiating why? Because he wanted his town's people to get nice looking things for less. Because he wanted to make a ton of money? No, that was not his approach. The money followed the service. And then the, the interesting thing about J.C. Penney was this, was that he had an opportunity to go public, to take his company public, raise a bunch of money for it, but he said no. Why? Because then the stockholders will, 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 will look at his local store, his founding store, and says the demographics don't support the level of business that we really want to get out of it, and he would have pushed him out of that town. So he, he kept it private for a long time so that what? So that it can continue to serve his community. Service resulted in kingship. And then how did J.C. Penny do what he did? I, I gave this guy an example. He was he was an, a 90% tither. He lived on 10% and gave God 90. And he lived very well. He was very wealthy. So why? In, with service comes kingship. Alexander Graham Bell, his wife and his mother were both deaf. And so that's why he was always tinkering on hearing aids or something that can help the deaf to hear. And it was in the process of trying to make a, an earpiece for his wife that he began to discover that, you know, if you pass, you know, um, vibration through, through wires and then, and then you put a filament there, it can, the voice can come out and it can be intelligible. He found out that you could literally by electrical current produce something that can speak on the other side. And then we have AT&T. You know, the American telegraph and telephone company founded by Alexander Graham with what? With service. He was trying to serve his wife and his mom who were deaf. And out of service came kingship. So what you understand, what, I, what I'm going to say is this. Some, some may say, but Felix, you know, these guys were unusually talented. Sorry. You look at Colonel Sanders, KFC, right? Old, 60 years old. 
was when he decided, listen, I have this recipe that every time I fry chicken at my house, everybody's like, wow, this is amazing. Why don't I just serve it to a larger audience? The entire scope of enterprise is service. India, let me talk about our country, then I'll talk about Zimbabwe, but I want to go at India right now, and then maybe talk about China. With India, you look at human resource. There is no nation that has human resources like, the, like, like India. Some of the mightiest intellectuals on the planet, some of the mightiest tech individuals on the planet are in India. But the question becomes, why isn't the Indian industry dominating globally? Why isn't it the greatest producer of the best cars? Why are we buying Mercedes from Germany, not from India? Because the service orientation was not great. It was just make money and then get this. Have you been to a store when you're in the old country where the storekeeper yells at you? Even sometimes out here, can, can I just be honest? You know, at a Johnson & Johnson, you know, you go to a motel and you're like, my goodness, guys, come on, man. What, what, you know, we're making the money. You got no other choice. That's what the price is. That's the price. If you don't want, you can go somewhere else. Boom. Yeah, you will have your Johnson & Johnson. You will not dominate globally because those who dominate globally are based on the quality of the service and the quality of the service is based on user experience. How does it make your master feel? Oh, well done, good and faithful servant. Two more minutes or three. And so you go to Zimbabwe, same thing. You walk into a store, even the Zimbabweans that are here in the States, <laughs> you walk into a store and the storekeeper is reading. Looks at you, keeps on reading. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, but um, I was wondering, yeah, if the back there, And then you go to Chick-fil-A and, and you're wondering, I want to take these kids home with me. The Chick-fil-A serve those little, you know, high school kids and all this. My goodness, man, they give better service than any church I know. Sorry, Metro. Any church I know, you cannot beat Chick-fil-A on the quality of service. What is that? Can I, by the time you buy, you're like, I, I just want to buy the whole store just so that I can make this kid happy. Why? Because here's what uh, Truett Cathy or Cathy Truett, the founder of Chick-fil-A said. Do you know that? Pastor Sadish, he studied what, the word, how you respond to the term thank you in the best way. And he studied your welcome. And, he, and so he studied it. He said, you're welcome. And they found out how, it says, no. He, he found out that the most joy-inducing response to thank you is to say, my pleasure. Because you are saying, it is my pleasure to serve you. So then he told he didn't boss them to do it. He just told his employees, guys, I found out this is the best way to respond to someone that says thank you. So you'll find whenever you say thank you to a Chick-fil-A you know, employee, they'll say, my pleasure, sir. And you're just looking like, I just want to eat it, drive around the block and come back and buy something else. Why? Because service, man, service. So right now, we are consumers of other people's service. We are consumers of Bethel service. We are consumers of Hillsong service on the worship part. And then we are consumers of other people's material. And I'm just asking, can we come into our kingship now? And how we know that we've entered into our kingship? We enter into our kingship by becoming servants of all. And for, 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 for you, as, as, as a Malian church that is in Dallas, when you look at the churches around you and say, how best can we serve? You best can serve by setting the best example.
the hiring of a youth pastor, the doing of an English service, started with one church. Everybody else was afraid. That church did it. Everybody looked and said, that's a great idea. Then they did it. And now all of a sudden, our kids didn't have to sneak into, uh, to, you know, to, to covenant to get a word from God, you know, because, no. And the, they could now be in our service and we could teach systematically, not a shotgun message. I know what I'm talking about, yo. I've been with you guys for a long time. So my whole point is this. Those that first did it bore a risk because there was criticism in the beginning. Or you're separating our children, you know, you're this, and there was some uncles and aunties that was not happy about it, but they stuck the course because they wanted to bring up. And so sometimes even when they're naysayers, the only way to convince a naysayer is making sure that which you want to do is successful. Because all of us that are coming into church right now, we, did, we love God. Okay, that's why we're in church. So when we see that something works and works well, we will all congregate around that and we'll say thank you. So even those that were naysayers in the beginning, in the end, they were supporters of that move, that we need to invest in stuff. We need to bring in another, you know, pastor on stuff. Well, why can't pastor do everything? No, because we want to grow and we want to serve our community better. So now while you do that, other churches in the area now have a standard bearer. And they see it's working for Metro. Let's do it. So you're not just serving your people or serving your church. You're serving the greater ethnic church in the area. Be a servant. It's not about who has the most people. That doesn't matter. It's about who is most effective and then who makes the effectiveness available. You look at men like Stephen Furtick, and here's what he'll do once a year. He brings in ministers from all over the place, and they open up their entire structure, and they say, this is how we do what we do. I.V. Hilliard, I think um, uh, I, I, I think it was based in Houston or someplace. Dr. I.V. Hilliard, what he used to do once a year, he literally used to, their entire system by which they ran their church, and they, all, they were one of the first churches in the United States to have multiple locations. And you would bring pastors from all over and give them the entire plan. Look at what Craig Rochelle is doing with Life Church. Same thing. What is he doing? Hey, guys, we have a media platform here. Go edit. Use it. What is it? How have they come up to be one of the most effective churches on the planet? Service. That's why they're ruling. The quality of their service. And that's what I'm calling you to. I want to pray for you. Uh, if, if, if you're on there, get on camera because I want you to lift up your hands. I'm going to go on gallery here if I can. Um, I want to see as many faces as I can because I want to pray for you all. I want you to lift up your hands. For parents, you teach this to your children. You teach your daughter and your son how to make good child. Why? So that mom does not have to come who's been working in hospital dealing with COVID because she's a nurse. If an uncle comes, pastor comes, auntie comes to, to the home, imagine if a little six, seven-year-old boy says, uh, auntie, can I make you a cup of child? What is that? You're, not, you're teaching them to serve. So that they've always got an orientation of anticipating another person's need and meeting that need. That will be the brains that will cause them to start businesses that will beat any other business because the best companies right now are service-oriented. Please, I pray that you heard me. I want to pray for you. Lift up those hands. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pray for the spirit of excellence to come into Metro. I pray right now, Father, for an orientation towards service that will be known, not just because they serve, but by the quality of that service. That's what they'll be known for. Father, I pray that the anointing of the Lord that was upon Christ may come upon each one. The preachers be the best preachers, worshipers, the best worshipers, basses, the best basses, drama, best drama. If it's your craft, master it. Give, put your heart and soul into it. 
you know, Father, I pray right now, home groups, my goodness, man, let God give you ingenious ideas to connect with people, engage them in conversation, and watch people's lives change. Father, I pray those that all you can do maybe is open your home in hospitality, be an amazing host. Some are coming, let the children come to your house, let the youth come and hang out at your place, and let them see what love looks like in a family. You know, serve with what you have, and serve now, and serve well, because that is the calling of kings. Father, I pray for the kingly anointing to come upon these amazing priests. They are wonderful priestly people. They fast and they pray and they worship. I'm asking the anointing of kings now to hit them. The anointing of service, not just service, but high quality service from this day forth until the Lord himself shall come again. And if before that, if we live and go before that, Father, until the day they put us in the soil, the day they cremate us, we will give excellent service. Because that is who we are. May you cause that to be for Metro, Father. In the mighty, mighty name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Take it away, Pastor Sadish. God bless you guys. Thank you so much for your time, you guys. Love you much. Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If there is anything we can do to continue equipping you in your pursuit to be like Jesus, then please do not hesitate to reach out to us on our website at metrochurch.us. Also, if you found today's message to be inspiring and informative, then please share it with your family and friends and leave a review on this podcast platform or on our website. Again, thank you for joining us. We are so grateful for you. Have a great week and God bless you and your family.